Brought to you by the Mary Christie Institute, a thought leadership organization dedicated to the behavioral health and well-being of teens and young adults. We have a particular focus on college students. I'm Marjorie Malpedi, the executive director of the Mary Christie Institute. And I'm Dana Humphrey, the associate director of the Mary Christie Institute, and we're the hosts of the Quadcast. There may be no more important role right now on college campuses than that of the head of wellness services. The American Council on Education's latest poll of college presidents shows student mental health to be their number one concern. Today's guest is Dr. Carrie Landa, Executive Director of Student Wellbeing at Boston University, who will tell us how BU is looking at mental health and well-being from a whole new perspective. Welcome, Dr. Landa. Thanks for having me, Marge. I am so glad that you were able to make the show. This is your first time on the podcast, and we are delighted to have you. And it will not be your last, hopefully. So, Carrie, I'm going to call you Carrie. I wanted just to talk a little bit about your new role because it, it is really reflective of some major changes that are going on at BU. So you were head of counseling for many years at BU, and you're now in this exciting new role as Executive Director of Student Wellbeing. And I understand from some of what I've read that this was a pretty big evolution involving a task force and some pretty big strategic thinking over there, as well as I imagine just what's been happening in college student mental health. So talk a little bit about your transference to this new role and how that came about. Sure. So I've been at Boston University at the Counseling Center for, I think I'm in my 14th year, into going into my 15th year. And it has been an incredible opportunity to work with students in such a personal capacity. And as director for the past nine years, I really began to see the ways in which students struggling were not necessarily about pathology or students having major mental illness, but it was really more about the day-to-day and how they were navigating their experience on campus and beyond. In September of 2020, I was asked by the university president and provost to oversee the development of the university's strategic initiative specifically related to health and wellness. So I was kind of given a blank page to map out what I thought would help our student population really flourish and thrive and how we can address some of these broader issues related to not just mental health, but also general wellness and well-being. So how our students really experience day-to-day life on our campus in a way that's meaningful. When I was given that opportunity, I thought broadly about not just the things that I was seeing in the counseling center, of course, and in the ways in which students were presenting and struggling, but also the conversations that I've had with students throughout the years, not in a clinical capacity, but just as a member of our community. In addition, I think the input from colleagues across the university and and across the country, of course, that I've worked with for years, that we've seen in many ways, students are struggling because they don't have, in some ways, these skills that we think would be really helpful for them to have as they navigate college and beyond. And I don't want to say there's this generational deficit because there's other ways in which these students have skills that blow us all out of the water. So how can we also leverage the skills that they have and really lean into things that they do know how to do really well, but also give them some other ways in which they can learn how to do things a little differently? 
Right. So it sounds to me that you're taking more of a preventative lens, right, than just sort of focusing solely on service delivery. And obviously, that's a wise approach. So let me ask you, Carrie, for so long, you were dealing with service delivery and seeing the issues that I think every campus had is making sure people could get in in the time they wanted to, saw the therapist they wanted to see. And then with this sort of new approach, are you optimistic that maybe you will be able to eliminate some of the issues that you had in the counseling center relative to shortage of staff or preferences, if you can catch some of these things for your students, say, uh, more upstream? I do think so. I I do believe that if we can teach students how they can navigate some of these experiences on their own, there would be less of demand in the counseling centers. So much of what our students struggle with is day-to-day how do I navigate this conflict with a roommate? How do I navigate the disappointment of not performing in the way that I thought I was supposed to? So if students were able to have a little bit of insight into the skills that they actually already have or that they can improve upon to navigate some of these experiences, I think we would see ultimately less in the counseling centers. That makes sense. Can you give us examples of programs that might get at that or the types of people that might be involved in helping students navigate that? So there's a really a two-pronged approach to this. One is having students recognize the many ways on our campuses that already contribute to their experience of well-being. We want students to recognize how they feel matters and that there are ways in which they can engage in our community in opportunities that really contribute to feeling well. The other part of this is teaching students those skills that I mentioned earlier about how to navigate things when they might be challenging. So really pulling from positive psychology, pulling from cognitive behavioral therapy or DBT or acceptance and mindfulness. So there are ways in which we or I as a clinician or we as clinicians have been teaching these skills to patients for years. But what we're also recognizing is there's value teaching these skills to individuals who are not necessarily struggling with pathology or struggling with something that's clinical in nature, but just struggling with normal developmental stressors. But these skills can actually be used to navigate those challenges that they might experience. And you think it might have impact on what we see seem to be the most common reasons people visit the counseling center, which is anxiety, some mild levels of depression, that kind of thing. I do. You know, I think if students felt more prepared to navigate stressors that contribute to anxiety. So for example, a student is, you know, studying for exams or preparing for a talk or their dissertation, even if they're able to practice things like mindfulness or self-compassion and recognizing that they're doing the best that they can, could that alleviate some levels of anxiety? Absolutely. I I also think experience of loneliness and isolation that's been, of course, exacerbated by the um, pandemic have really contributed to students' experience of mild depression. So if there's ways in which we as a community can engage our students, whether it's in community dialogue or 
conversations that are, are bringing together subsets of our community where they can interact with each other and get to know each other and really have kind of more interactive and human experience that it can impact the student's experience of that loneliness and isolation that we've all been experiencing. Absolutely. In fact, that was one of my questions for you, Carrie. This sort of new focus, this broadening of your focus on student well-being, is this something that was in the works before COVID? And, and if so, was it just excellent timing? Because it seems like you're probably more grateful for it than ever. We actually started this before COVID, which is, you know, a talk about timing being of the essence. In early 2019, or even before that, actually, we had pulled together a mental health task force on campus that I chaired and had asked our, at the time, the director of our wellness and prevention office within student health services to co-chair this with me, because I was really seeing the way in which we needed to approach mental health needed to be much broader on campus. So we pulled together this mental health task force with several folks from across campus and the majority of us had said that we need to have a more strategic approach to this on campus that really is a shared campus responsibility to show students that there's many ways in which we can actually affect change in their lives. So through that task force, we created what's called the Wellbeing Project. And the Wellbeing Project was a campus-wide initiative to engage students in their well-being, to have them really think about how they feel and have them realize that how they feel matters and that there are many ways on our campus, whether it's through the clinical services that I was a part of or through things like our fitness and recreation center, through our diversity, equity and inclusion office, through the Howard Thurman Center, through the Dean of Students office, or through the many student organizations and clubs that we have, that there are ways in which we have many opportunities on campus that students can engage in improving how they feel. So the well-being project was really part of what this larger new role that I now have on campus will be. Oh, that's great. And how did you find the students' reaction to that? It's been amazing. I think one of the things that I have continued to see and, and will have to continue to work on is how everything is not just collapsed into mental health. So I think for many years, we've all really worked hard to have counseling centers be recognized for the work that they're doing. And we've in some way overcorrected for that. We are now all inundated with requests and things that counseling centers can certainly do, but is it really the best use of counseling centers? So I think for many students and for many of our, our campuses, the demand that counseling centers are seeing are a result of us kind of demonstrating our value, but also there's value in all these other offices on campus being able to engage in some of this work as well. So I think ultimately this shift for the students not thinking that they always need to speak to a clinician, for example, is going to be a hard one. But for them to be able to realize that they can do all these other things has been really welcomed by then. I think it will be a continued conversation, though, and a culture change for our campus and for many others as well. One other piece of this, though, that I've been really impressed by is the student energy around these initiatives. 
the number of students that have reached out saying they want to volunteer or be a well-being project champion or get involved or this is exactly the kind of work that they want to be doing, that has been pretty impressive too. So I do think it's really kind of hitting a chord with students that, that is is of interest to them. Oh, that's so funny. That was the question I was going to ask you. And I'm putting you on the spot here and I'm taking a page out of our book, which is we had released a survey last week. You might have seen it, Carrie, on peer counseling for college students. And we learned a lot of interesting things that I think hopefully will be helpful for the field and for folks like yourself. I think the big takeaway there was there seems to be strong usage and high interest in students engaging in peer counseling, which as you know, is speaking to someone about your mental health who is a trained peer, not a friend. I don't know if BU has a program like that. I I know a lot of schools don't yet. And I think there's some concerns from the counseling center's perspective in terms of training and safety protocols, et cetera, et cetera. But you really hit on something. And again, our poll showed students really want to help each other. And a lot of students feel like the help they could get from a peer is really exactly what they're looking for. I don't want to put you on the spot about, you know, what you're doing there at BU, but what's your general reaction to programs like that? I see great value in having peer programs. The tightrope that I have tried to walk as we've thought about peer programs is that many of our students already feel so overwhelmed and so burdened by the pressures that they're experiencing. And, you know, we see this with RAs, for example. We see this with TAs, teaching assistants for classes. They also are students navigating some of the very same stressors that our other students are experiencing. With that said, I think there are certain students who do this in ways that are really healthy and other students can absolutely learn from or benefit from talking to, even if it's just about dialogue and learning from each other. As part of the new programming, we are going to have a peer component of it that would not necessarily be peer counseling because I'm no longer going to be in a clinical role or a counseling role, but to have almost peer educators where we have peers leading discussions and conversation about these very skills that we're trying to teach students to engage in. That's great work. I wanted to ask you about equity and diversity, and I know that I've heard you speak about the social determinants of mental health and how important that is. Talk a little bit about the work that you're doing at BU around belonging and equity and diversity. Yeah, this is, I think, something we have all really pushed ourselves to continue to think about in every aspect of our work, whether it's representation in staff, either in our counseling center or across the university as a whole. Identity is such an individual thing. And I think we all have ways in which we experience our own identities. And of course, the intersection of our our identities are also an important part of the conversation. And with such a diverse campus like BU, it's hard to have representation for every single student. With that said, it's also our obligation to continue to try to have representation for our students that feel like they have places that they can go and they can access where either they can see and meet people who mirror them or have an understanding of who they are. And our con- across the university, I think we are all engaged in dialogue to have this be part of, of the mission of all of our work and all of our offices. And this is also relevant for the work that we're doing in student well-being, thinking about how we can have access for students, not for clinical services, again, because that's not what this new department is about, but for the ways in which students engage in how they feel better or feel well, that means a different thing 
to everyone. So for our students from the BIPOC community or from the GLBTQ community or from our graduate student population versus our undergraduate student population, our international student population and each one of those different international students, how they in their home countries might engage in something that is about community and well-being is something very different than our domestic students, for example, might experience. So we really want to think broadly and not only have it be representative of our students, but also accessible to our students, really meet them where they are and have them feel that anything or of the variety of things that we're offering, there's something that speaks to them in a meaningful way. So Carrie, what you're describing sounds like something that's, you know, can't be contained to sort of one department or one person, certainly. Just wondering sort of what the cultural change is at at BU. I, I wanted to mention the president of BU, President Brown, is actually attending a very specific convening in Washington, D.C. with 30 other presidents on college student mental health and well-being. And the folks that are coming are really focused on making changes on their campus in this regard. So that's a good sign for BU. But just talk a little bit about how you sort of expand this into the culture so that all stakeholders have a role. I think for any campus, this is about a campus culture, and especially on on a campus of our size, one office can't be solely responsible for that. So I think having ways in which this becomes part of the fabric of any institution is the direction this has to go in. So I think folks holding each other accountable to continue to have these conversations is, is an important part of it, but also regularly engaging with the students and understanding what the students feel like they need is also a really important part of this. I think the challenge that we run into certainly the challenge that I have felt in higher education is there's such turnover. You know, our undergraduate students change every four years, our graduate students sometimes even every 18 months because of of, of shorter programs. So continuing to have dialogue and conversation that keeps us aware of what the student needs continue to be, not just on our own campus, but of course nationally, and continuing to flex to those needs, I think is what we'll, we'll continue to do. That's great. Thank you, Carrie. I was actually going to ask just one last question, and I don't want it to be a downer, even though it's about COVID. And it's hard not to get down about that. But I always like to ask people in your opinion, because you're there in the trenches and you've been there uh, throughout this unprecedented two years. So how do you think that everything that has happened in the two years, beginning with the global health pandemic and all of that which it influenced, including the campus closures and the isolation, and then the stark inequalities that were expressed by incidences and the inequity of the pandemic. Do you think that's changed how we look at college student mental health on campuses? And I imagine the obvious is in some ways negatively, but and maybe positively. Do you have any thoughts on that? I think the biggest positive that has come out of the pandemic is telehealth, to be honest. I think many universities and even the field in general really resisted to moving towards telehealth or telemedicine for many reasons, but the pandemic forced us to do that. And perhaps we overcorrected because we had to do it and everything was done in that way. But I think now having this as a uh, modality in which we can deliver treatment to decrease barriers for students who might not want to walk into the doors of a counseling center, but are appropriate to do telemedicine, it is an incredible, incredible value added. I think the other thing that this has really demonstrated to us is the importance 
to be honest, for the staff of having a sense of community and support from each other. Much of the work that we do is behind closed doors with a student one-on-one, and we lean on each other for consultation and collaboration, of course, in treatment, but even for prevention of burnout and self-care to have colleagues in a community that are of real value has been so important. So I think us really recognizing that throughout the pandemic and how much it's important to have a team that feels cohesive and reliable has has been highlighted for us. That also, though, echoes for our students. I think our students' experience has really been lonely and, and isolating because they've been on Zoom much like all of us. And I think if anything, which is really kind of echoes to what I was saying earlier about the importance of community and having folks be in person and engage with each other in real interactive ways, our students are hungry for that. With that comes a new wave of anxiety, though, because we've all been so removed from interacting with each other. We haven't had interpersonal interactions in the way in which we used to. And it's been with masks and we have, you know, kind of out of practice of reading each other's affect and expressions and faces. So I think there's ways in which we're really seeing this need to get back together to kind of the grassroots of on the ground interactions with each other but really being able to support each other, not just our students in in how we do that. Gosh, that's great and very hopeful. It has been so terrific talking to you today, Carrie, Dr. Carrie Landa, Executive Director of Student Wellbeing at Boston University. I wish you all the luck in the world with your new program and uh, the wellness project and all the great proactive stuff you're doing there. Thank you. Thank you so much. This has been the Quadcast, a program of the Mary Christie Institute. To learn more about our work, go to marychristieinstitute.org, where you can sign up for our other programs, like the MC Feed and the Mary Christie Quarterly. And if you like what we're doing, leave us a rating or review on your favorite podcast player. Thanks so much for listening. 